The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. Today's scripture reading comes from Micah chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, and this is found on page 730 if you're using the Black Bibles in front of you. Would you stand as I read from God's word? Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, this is the second week of Advent, um, and we are going to be, as you just heard, in the prophet Micah. So last week was Malachi, this week is Micah, and then over the next two weeks, we'll be looking at some of the messianic prophecies that you see in the prophet Isaiah. So this morning, we are going to see that through Micah, Micah the prophet was telling the people that a shepherd is coming, and that is the title of our sermon this morning. A shepherd is coming. Last week it was a messenger is coming. Now through Micah, a shepherd is coming. And the main idea that hangs over these five verses is this, is that a shepherd is coming who will be our peace. A shepherd is coming who will be our peace. You're going to see this specifically in verses 4 and 5 where this ruler of Israel that we see in verse 2 is going to be described as not just a king, but a king who is a shepherd, and this king shepherd is going to be our peace. He's not just going to come and give something that is foreign to him, he's actually giving something almost of himself. He shall be their peace, and that's what we're going to concentrate on this morning. So I'm going to pause, we're going to pray. My encouragement is this. Uh, we hear Micah 5 verse 2 often during Christmas, don't we? Oh, Bethlehem from you, a ruler is going to come, this kind of thing. But we often don't pause to think about why verse 2 and the king shepherd that is talked about in Micah 5 is such extraordinarily good news. And it's going to actually come from the context of verse 1. And verse 1 feels like a throwaway verse, talking about wars and sieges and some guy getting smacked in the face with a stick kind of thing, and you're like, yeah, 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 okay, whatever, let's get to the real meat of the Christmas story here. But what you're going to see is it's phenomenal news, verse 2 is, because of the context of verse 1. And so maybe that's what you're going to pause and pray for. Just pause and ask, Jesus, would you help me to see the good news, the hope that we have in you in real life, okay? So let's pause, let's pray, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we, we do this now. Just 
literally doing what we said we would do, is we want to go to you in prayer. We're coming to you, asking you to open our eyes if my Jesus family in front of me is anything, their lives are anything like my life, especially since we've met from last week, is my life has been filled, like we saw last week, with a lot of words, a lot of messages, a lot of busyness, a lot of spending money on gifts, a lot of calendar dates and times being filled up and spent. And the danger is right now, if we don't guard our hearts and lean in dependence on you right now, we can treat the next 40, 45-ish or so minutes as just another calendar thing. Yeah, yeah, we're here physically, but yeah, our hearts are far. Our minds are already cooking lunch. Our minds are already on the couch this afternoon watching the game. And so, Lord, I, I'm asking to please reel our hearts and minds in to be present right now in this moment. That you, Holy Spirit, would open our eyes to see Jesus clearly. You would open our mind to understand these scriptures that we're going to read. But most importantly, Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes and open our mind to see just how desperately true these words are for me, that you would apply the truth that we need this shepherd king who has come. We need the peace with God that he can bring. I need that. And so I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, where in my failings and in my fumblings as a preacher, to be able to connect dots well for my Jesus family and even for myself that you, Holy Spirit, we're going to trust that there, you are there working and applying the scriptures to our lives. That's our hope right now. King Jesus, it's in your name I pray these things. Amen. Amen. Well, you've been hearing me say this phrase several times out of the last couple of sermons in Luke 17 and 18. You heard me say it several times last week. You're going to hear me say it today, and I'm sure in the days to come. And it's this, this phrase right here, that Jesus' people are expectant in between waiting people. We are expectant in between waiting people. People. And the reason why we've been saying this and the reason why we're going to continue to say this, it has good reason, good cause that we should beat this drum and remember this truth about you and I. It's because as we, you and I, wait for the second advent, the second return of King Jesus, we also simultaneously rejoice at how Jesus is the fulfillment to a number of Old Testament prophecies that pointed to the certainty of his first arrival, the certainty of his first advent. So for instance, if you just go back into the Old Testament, a lot of the Old Testament prophecies that you hear, specifically uh, around this time of the year, and rightly so, are things like Genesis 22:18, 18, 
where the writer tells us that Jesus would be born as a descendant of Abraham. Matthew's gospel makes that connection very clear. The prophet Isaiah prophesied something that was both very specific and very unthinkable, that Jesus would be born of a virgin. For those of us who know how these things work, it's like, how does that work, right? This is a very specific thing that the Isaiah that Isaiah the prophet was prophesying, and it did come true in the Lord Jesus Christ. The prophet Jeremiah tells us that Jesus would be born in the middle of the worst kind of human suffering. And if you remember the retribution that King Herod levied against Bethlehem in that area when he found out the real king was going to be showing up, he went and murdered a bunch of little babies, little ones, suffering. Hosea the prophet foretold that Jesus would be called out of Egypt and we know that that is true when they fled that suffering they go to Egypt and then Christ the son comes out of Egypt fulfilling that prophecy and then you come to a place like the book of Micah this minor prophet and we see Micah prophesying that among him being a descendant of Abraham, him being born of a virgin, him being born in the middle of the worst kind of suffering, him being called out of Egypt, Micah says what you also need to know is this, that this future shepherd, this future king is going to be a baby born in the town of Bethlehem. Verse 2 in your copy of scripture, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, so it's like, what's going on there? Bethlehem is the city. Ephrathah is like the region. So it would be like saying, oh, you, Springfield of Illinois, right? That's what's going on right now. He's getting very specific. In the region of Ephrathah, there's a little town called Bethlehem. And we know Bethlehem because of King David being born in this city. He says, you who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, if you go back into the book of Joshua, when Joshua was delineating all the cities that would belong to the people of Israel, there were the big cities, and then eventually it came down to, and there's a whole bunch of little cities around here, but you don't even see Bethlehem mentioned. Bethlehem was so insignificant, it says like you weren't even worthy of being listed on a census of cities. That's how insignificant you are, Bethlehem, among the clans of Judah, but here's what you need to know, out of this weakness out of this insignificance from you says God shall come forth for me and here's the phrase one who is to be ruler or you could say king in Israel whose coming forth is from of old from ancient days now when you read these prophecies right there's this measure of like well that's pretty cool right like Micah is writing what he's writing 700 years before Jesus was born in the city of Bethlehem, 700 years. Where was our nation? Like, our nation was not even a gleam in anyone's eye 700 years ago. A lot of history happened in between Micah writing this and Jesus showing up. And so the temptation sometimes is to be like, yeah, Genesis and Jeremiah and Isaiah and all this stuff, it feels so distant, feels so far, but the way to be present, the way to grasp and wrestle with the prophecies that we find in the Old Testament about the coming Messiah is to recognize is that as these prophecy prophets were prophesying these things, they were happening in real life. Like in the midst of people paying bills real life. In the midst of husbands and wives having arguments real life. The kids being disobedient real life. Needing to pay taxes real life. 
And my argument is, is that when we remember these realities, when we go back and read the Bible, we shouldn't read the Bible with rose-colored glasses. We go back and we read and recognize, like, man, like, these are like real people waiting for a real Savior because they had real problems that they needed to really be saved from. And all of God's people today said, like, amen. Yeah? Yeah. So what's hope-giving when you read prophecies like what we see in Micah 5.2 and in verse 4, it's hope-giving to someone like you and me because in all of these things, these prophecies were truly spoken right smack dab in the middle of real life. And by real life, I mean absolutely real life. These prophets, they're not ministering in some make-believe world of never-ending high-fives and puppy dogs. No other world like our world, it's filled with happy highs. Their world, like our world, is filled with hurting lows. And their world, like our world, is filled with everything in between. Now, if you're like, prove it to me. Like, where's the proof in all these things? Well, we can just ask Micah right now. Micah, what was it like in your day? And that's where the first four chapters of Micah become extremely important in relation to setting up the nuclear-grade hope that we discover in verse 2. It's nuclear-grade hope because of what verse 1 of chapter 5 is about and the previous four chapters of Micah's book. Micah was a contemporary of the prophet Isaiah. This king language that we're just going to touch on here this morning, we're going to really zoom in on it next week when he starts talking about the darkness has been pierced by a great light. The government shall be upon a certain person's shoulders. He's going to be the prince of peace. This is all king language. Isaiah and Micah are writing to a people who need to be reminded that as you look around, you see rulers and leaders who are not not leading you to your Messiah, to your hope in God like they should be. And it's causing great harm to you. Their unrighteousness is leading you into unrighteousness and everybody is walking far from God. And so Isaiah and Micah speak. We see that Micah prophesied in the latter part of the 8th century. So like the 730s, 20s, the 710s. And he ministered for about 30 years. Micah, in this specific book, had the task of warning God's people that there are going to be unavoidable consequences in your life if you do not repent from sin and return to God. There was a lot of playing church going on in Micah's day, but there was a lot of unrighteousness going on in Micah's day. And for the people of Micah's day, for the leaders of Micah's day, they were happy with both these things being laid on the table. We are very happy to live an unrighteous life, and we're very happy to be very religious about it. And they didn't see any any distinction in between there, no, no dissonance going on between there. Again, the key word that hung over God's people in Micah's day is this word unrighteousness. It's a word that described all corners of society. The people of God were drowning in unrighteousness. Chapter 2, Micah says the people are oppressing the poor. In chapter 3, he says the people are perverting justice through corrupt courts. 
In chapter 6, he says the people are engaging in shady business practices, right? Your pursuit of God is supposed to have an impact on how you pursue business, how you go about your work life. And if your work life is shady, then Micah would say that's evidence that you are embracing unrighteousness. The three offices of prophet, priest, and king to the nation of Israel, these are three very important offices. You had the priests who stood on behalf of the people of God, or meant to say people of God, let us mediate and bring you before God. Then you had the prophets who were to stand on behalf of God and say, thus says the Lord, and speak to the people of God. And then you had the kings, the rulers, the leaders who were to be over that civic area of life alongside the priests and the prophets. And together they were to say, if you look at us, you should see God that wasn't the case the prophets the priests the kings of Micah's day were also infested with unrighteousness the land was filled with false prophets chapter 3 the priests were greedy for gain also chapter 3 they said we'll be very happy to be the mouthpiece of the people of God to God if you give us some cash we'll be very happy to do our job if you lie in our pockets And the rulers of Israel, according to chapter 3 as well, they despised justice. That attribute of God that we talked about a couple of weeks ago at the end of Luke 18 with the parable of the persistent widow. Our God is the God of justice, the just judge of all the earth. Shall he not do right? And all God's people said, amen, yes, he shall. And the leaders of Micah's day were saying, I know we're supposed to image that attribute to you, but we actually despise it. And we don't want anything to do with it. You see, this is the real life that Micah was living in. This is the real life the people of God and the leaders and the rulers of the people of God were living in. And God said, Micah, I want you to go into the midst of this and I want you to start saying some things. And Micah's job was to help the people of God see that they have a very big problem, to put it lightly. And their problem is your personal unrighteousness, O people of God, And your lack of righteous leadership among you, prophets, priests, and kings, your biggest problem will not, cannot, will never be able to be fixed from within. This unrighteous problem is not, Micah saying, bootstrap yourself, grin and bear it, bite the bullet, buckle down, go to church a little bit more, read your Bible a little bit more, believe a little bit harder, have a little bit more faith. He wasn't saying reach from within and make these things happen. He was saying y'all need to lift your eyes to the horizon. You need to lift your eyes and see that your ultimate help, the solution for your unrighteousness problem is actually going to come from outside of you ultimately what we see in chapter 5 verse 2 and verse 4 is that they need to lift their eyes to the future hope of christmas that's where their hope is going to come from so after four chapters of opening eyes doing what a prophet does prophets are going to prophesy (laughs) prophets are going to come and go and poke you in the eye The prophets are going to say, thus says the Lord, you all are running after God in a way you think that pleases God, but what you need to understand is God is not pleased with what you're doing. You can go to Micah 6 to see this. He's not cool with your sacrifice. He's not asking for, he's asking for a broken heart, a contrite heart. 
A heart that says, I am a sinner in need of a Savior, and I'm coming to God, and I'm submitting myself to him. Micah's been doing this for four chapters, and then Micah turns in 5 verse 1 and begins to speak the good news that point number one, a good ruler is coming, or you could say a good king is coming. You all need, this is who you need, your Lack of righteous leadership means you need a righteous leader. The ones who are leading you far from God is proof that we need one who can show up and lead us to God. Be a good ruler, be a good leader, be a good king. And Micah says you all need to pay attention because that one is going to come. Not just any old ruler or king, but a ruler who will be the righteous leader we all need. Look at verse 1. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. So this is Micah, remember, speaking to God's people on behalf of Yahweh. Continuing, with a rod, they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But, notice the contrast, but, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me. Here he is in contrast. This one who is to be ruler in Israel. Whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Now I alluded to this a couple of minutes ago. When you're reading your Bible, like right now in front of you, phone, paper copy, whatever it is, you're looking at verse 1, and the temptation right now is to look at verse 1 as a throwaway verse, isn't it not? You look at verse 1, you're like, yeah, okay, okay, I guess, yeah. Someone's mustering troops, some kind of battle siege is going on, yeah, some figure named Daughter of Troops is there, yeah, there's something about this siege, there, there's someone getting smacked in the face with a stick, sure, I guess, I don't know, but I know what verse 2 is about, because every preacher around Christmas time tells me verse 2 is about Christmas, this is the Christmas season, so let's, let's skip one, let's dive right into Christmas, let's, let's get to the good news of Christmas, why don't we? Let's go, verse 2, let's hit it, but... If your temptation right now is like, yeah, verse 1, I don't know, but give me verse 2, then what we need to do is remember to slow our roll and to pause and to remember verse 1. Why? Because verse 1 is the context which explains why the nuclear-grade hope of a coming ruler in Israel is such good news. Like, you don't just take my word for it. Yeah, verse 2 is really good news. I guess the pastor said it's good news, so let's just trust that it's good news. No, there's nuclear-grade hope going on in verse 2. High-octane, high-strength hope. The reason why I say that is because verse 1 reeks with the aroma of dark despair. When Micah is writing what he's writing in chapter 5, verse 1, it is dark despair. That's the flavor of the day. And I say this because of what was going on, again, in real life during Micah's ministry at this time. Like literal, historical, you can go back and read in the history books what was going on at the time that he was writing about chapter 5, verse 1. If you go back into history in verse 1, the year is 701 B.C. 
and the armies of the Assyrian ruler, the kingdom of Assyria, are being ruled by a king named Sennacherib. And Sennacherib is laying siege, literally has come back into the area of Israel. His nation was there about 21 years prior in the northern kingdom of Israel, sacked the northern kingdom, hauled all of God's people out except for very little. This nation is back and now they're coming back for the southern kingdom. And at this stage in the game, they've been working through all these little towns and villages, laying siege and sacking all these little towns and now they're knocking on the door of the city of Jerusalem and guess where Micah is he's there this is real life 21 years prior in 722 BC Micah witnessed what this nation can do when they say we want to overthrow a people so when verse 1 talks about siege it's talking about real life siege army at the door surrounding a city people suffering It's talking about mommies and daddies not having enough food to care for their children. It's talking about the fear without and the fear within that would lay hold of any one of us here if we're in a place where a foreign nation says, we're going to come, we're going to overthrow, disrupt your way of life, and we're going to take you from your home, and we're going to take you to a new place. This is the real life into which the promise of a coming ruler who is going to rule with righteousness, that promise comes and inhabits that kind of real life space. Do you see what Micah is saying? So when it says that with a rod they're striking the judge of Israel on the cheek, the judge of Israel is the current king of Israel at that time. It's Hezekiah. And Assyria's assault on the southern kingdom of Israel. Now, you might be asking yourself, phenomenal, maybe less than phenomenal history lesson, Pastor Jonathan. But what on earth does that have to do with me in December of 2023? I just want you to know, saints, that I'm providing this background not to bore you with facts and because I get paid to like preach 40 minutes and I only had like a 20-minute sermon, so I had to fill in 20 minutes with something. Contrary to what some of you might think. (laughs) This cat could have preached that in 20. Why did he take 40? Okay. I'm not providing this background to bore you with the facts, but I'm providing this background because of this truth right here, and I want you to hear this. In your life and my life, there are probably a hundred different reasons that make you ask the question, is this thing going to last forever? Is this thing going to last forever? Is this thing going to last forever? See, if you think about it, for Micah and the people of God, verse 1 represents the fallout of unrepentant sin. Verse 1 represents the fallout of unrighteous leadership. And this has been going on for 21 years. 21 years prior to verse 1 was 722. All of the prophets leading up to that time saying, you guys need to repent. There's going to be an extremely hard fallout to your unrepentance, to your unrighteousness, if you don't turn from sin and turn to God with a broken, humble, and contrite heart. And the people of God dug in their heels, refused to repent, and the consequence came. 
Micah said it was coming. It actually did come. Isaiah said it was coming. It actually did come. Micah saw it. And then those people and the fallout of a people being removed and the hurts and the turmoil and the darkness and the despair, he watched it. They lived in it for 21 years. And all of a sudden, that nation comes back and goes, it's your turn now. Is this ever going to end? Is this thing going to last forever? Are we always going to be on the receiving end of this thing? Is there ever any hope of this lasting forever thing coming to an end? And the same can be said for you and me. Some of us live in a verse one kind of real life world right now in this this very moment. Now, I doubt that your life is in turmoil due to an ancient Assyrian invasion. At least, I really hope not. But the realities of verse 1 can be tasted and seen whether there's an Assyrian invasion knocking on your door or not. Do you understand what I'm saying? It might very well be something else that feels like an Assyrian invasion. Like the people of Micah's day, you too are asking this question, is this going to last forever? But substitute the word this for disease. Is this disease in my body going to last forever? Is this cancer? Is this suffering? Is this death going to last forever that I'm surrounded with as my loved ones pass away? Is the waywardness of my child going to last forever? Is the marital discord in my marriage going to last forever? Is the loneliness I feel at night going to last forever? Are my desires unfulfilled going to last forever? Are my struggles with sin or my problems at work is my financial crisis is my anxiety of heart is the strife is the darkness is the despair going to last forever has anyone asked this question before at night with your head on the pillow anybody yeah you're living in Micah chapter 5 verse 1 that's how the Bible is relevant to you today You see, instability in our lives makes us long for stability, doesn't it? When your life is rocking and your feet are shaky and it feels like the ground is doing this, if any of you ever lived through an earthquake, the instability of an earthquake makes you long for the time where you can come out and stomp your feet on the ground and have what? Stability. That physical reality has spiritual carryover all over the place. When our lives are just rocking and heaving to and fro, spiritually speaking, we long for stability in the midst of an unstable world that's just rocked and wrecked with sin. And that truth, that instability in our lives makes us long for stability is even more so true when that instability is compounded and made worse because those responsible for leading us fail to do so like in Micah's day and I dare say so even in our day. When you look around and say, man, like by God's design, these leaders in whatever area or form of leadership you might wish to think of right now, 
The idea is you're, you're designed by God to use that form of leadership to lead us to see God. But so often our leaders in unrighteousness lead us further down the path of unrighteousness. And it just compounds the everyday real life unrighteousness I'm already personally struggling with in the six days and 22 hours that we usually see when we, when we meet. You see, saints, it's in Micah 5.1 moments that we realize and recognize, man, I need a leader. I need a ruler. I need a king. I need someone who can show up and say, I can get the job done and actually get the job done. Someone who say, I can show you what righteousness looks like and not say, now go over there and look at this person. But someone who can say, I can show you what righteousness looks like and can say, look at me and not be a hypocrite, but be full of integrity and upright in heart because they are righteousness cloaked in the flesh. Amen. You already see where this is going. In moments like these, we need a leader who can deliver us from the bondage of our own righteousness. A leader who can deliver the lasting peace we need in the midst of the, is this going to be forevers? We need a leader, a righteous, good king to be the bedrock upon which we collapse when we ask for the thousand and first time, Lord, is this going to last forever? And we don't have it within us anymore and we just collapse. What are you going to collapse on? What are you going to collapse on? Micah 5.2 says, In the midst of the verse 1 Assyrian sieges of your life, collapse into the good king. Collapse into the good leader. Collapse into the righteous ruler. He is the firm foundation. He can be the place where you anchor your hope in the midst of dark despair. And so notice that it's here. As I've said, it's here in the context of verse 1 and all that is packed into these words of verse 1. That is why when you read the first word of verse 2, B-U-T, B-U-T blows off the page with nuclear-grade hope. Why? Because when you're living in the midst of verse 1 and someone says, lift your eyes to the horizon, friend, because you have a ruler, a king, a good leader who can show up in perfect righteousness and lead you to the very hope and desires and the peace that you long for, guess what you do? Hope shines bright when someone comes and speaks in this way. Take heart, says Micah in verse 2, because the ruler you need, the ruler I need, he is coming a king upon whom we can ground our hope in the midst of the expectant, in-between waiting. Did you understand that the prophecies of the Old Testament and the fulfillment of the first arrival of King Jesus teach you that it is not wrong, but it is totally right for you to cast every ounce of hope that you have onto Jesus? He's not a shaky foundation. He's the firm foundation that you need for your life right now in the midst of your Assyrian invasion, in the midst of your verse 1 right now. How many here are living in the midst of a verse 1 kind of reality right now? Is anybody living in that? Verse 2 tells you, you are not risking it to cast your hope on King Jesus right now in the midst of verse 1. Verse 2 says, you are Casting your hope on a firm, unshakable, unceasing, never going to end foundation. That's the good news of Christmas. That's the good news of Christmas. 
From you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler in Israel. Good news. Who's coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. This is good news. And who is this ruler king? It's none other than Jesus Christ. For your homework, you can go and check out my, uh, uh, Matthew chapter 2, verse 5. That's where Matthew looks back to this here in Micah. Remember, three kings from Orient Far. They show up. Where's the king? And Herod's like... I got right here. And they're like, no, 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 the real king. And that's when you start to get a little sweaty when like people who are like really important show up and say, yeah, where's the king? And you're like got king tattooed over your head. And they're like, no, like the real one. You're the fake one, but where's the real one? You get a little sweaty. And so what does Herod do? He says, okay, I need all the people who know Bible stuff to show up. What are they talking about? And they're like, well, it's Micah 5.2 is what they're talking about. There's going to be a shepherd. He's going to be a king in Bethlehem. And right there, Matthew stitches together that Micah, 700 years prior to Emmanuel, God with us, coming, he's going to be the one that we're talking about. Okay, So you guys can be good Bereans and go and read your Bibles or your homework there. So we're going to say more about Jesus as our king next week when we look at the prophet Isaiah. But for now, what you need to do is notice this, is that as Micah continues to talk, as Micah continues to say this righteous king, he's going to be a certain something, he's going to say in verse 4 that this righteous king is also a good shepherd. He's a good shepherd. We like kings, but all of us get a little, a little sweaty under the armpits when we think about a king with authority who is not good. Yeah? Give me someone who's in charge, but it's like, whoa, we've seen people in charge who are tyrants. We need someone who can be in charge with all the authority of heaven and earth given to them to use at their disposal, but rest and breathe a deep sigh of relief when we recognize that all authority in heaven and earth given to this king is going to be used for good and the glory of God. Our soul goes, oh. This is good. And so if we stitch together the truth that Jesus is the ruler king of verse 2, this means when we get down to verse 4, we see point number 2 of our sermon this morning, which is this. Jesus is the good shepherd who will be our peace. So if Jesus is the ruler king of verse 2, and then Micah says this ruler king is going to be the good shepherd, and that means we can say with very clear authority, very clear certainty, that Jesus, the ruler of two, is the good shepherd of verse 4. And if you notice, the very beginning of verse 5 is that he will be our peace. So look at verse 4. And he, he who... He, that is the ruler king of verse 2, notice he shall stand steadfast, immovable. He's going to shepherd his flock and notice how he's going to shepherd. He's going to shepherd in the strength of the Lord. He's going to shepherd in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. Then notice all the shall words that just come screaming to the page. And they, the shepherd's flock, shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And look at this promise. And he, that is this shepherd, shall be their peace. Peace. Saints, King Jesus, your king, your good shepherd, your righteous ruler, he is no tyrant. 
And when you're tempted at times in your life to think, I think Jesus is tyrannizing me right now, you need to rebuke that thought in the name of Jesus. Jesus is no tyrant. He's not a harsh, cruel taskmaster. He is the good shepherd king. And as this good shepherd king, he is unlike any leader we have ever seen before. And notice what Micah says, that in his, Jesus' shepherding care, he shall stand and shepherd his flock, says Micah. So with skillful hand, with upright heart, Jesus guides his people. It's Jesus who is gentle and lowly in heart. And it's this gentle and lowly Jesus who cares for his own with compassion and he does it in the strength of the Lord and he does it in the majesty of the name of the Lord God on high. It's impossible to hear Micah's prophecy go from a righteous, good leader, a righteous, good ruler and turn into the shepherding language. It's impossible to hear that and your mind not go to the gospel of John, yeah? Are any of you guys beating me there yet? Are you in John 10 yet in your minds? Because that's where Jesus goes back and grabs this language, hangs it right over him, cloaks himself with the language of the shepherd. It's impossible to hear these words and not jump forward to the gospel of John where Jesus identifies himself. I am the good shepherd. And who is he as the good shepherd? He is the good shepherd who not only lays down his life for the sheep, but also knows his sheep And they know him. This is kindness. This is goodness. Jesus is the good shepherd who leaves the 99 and goes after the one. Jesus shepherds his flock by delivering us from our bondage to Satan. He delivers us from our bondage to sin. And he delivers us from our bondage to death. And this shepherding work is exactly what Jesus Christ accomplished at the cross. If you go into the New Testament and you go into Paul's letter to the Christians in Rome, Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul makes crystal clear that the victorious deliverance that our good shepherd accomplished was accomplished on the cross. Because you should be asking yourself, how do I know that he's good? How do I know that he can deliver? How do I know that he can lead me in righteousness? How do I know he can accomplish what the prophets said he would accomplish? The biblical New Testament answer to those questions is more is look no further than the cross. That is where you see the kindness and the goodness of a Savior who is ruler, righteous, king, shepherd, proving his goodness to his people. He accomplished these things at the cross. Paul tells us that God showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies, while we were hostile in mind, while we were at war with God, Christ died for us. This is goodness. This is kindness on display from the Good Shepherd. So now, says the Apostle, through the death and through the resurrection of our Shepherd King, guess what? Sinners can have, Romans 5.1, what? Peace with God. God 
through our good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace can be yours today. And I'm not talking about the kind of warm, fuzzy, this is the holidays peace. I'm talking about the enmity that rages between sinners and the holy God. That enmity, that hostility, that war can find peace. Surely if you, who all's done Christmas shopping here? Anybody? Have you, have you tapped into it yet? Yeah? Any kiddos out there? Who all's gone Christmas shopping among the kiddos? Yeah? Some of you have? I like it. Size medium, in just case you're asking. All right, Pastor John wears a medium, okay? So you've been out. You've been in the grocery stores. You've been in the department stores. Pumping over the radio is what? Christmas music. And if you listen to pop radio this time of the year, department stores, grocery stores, there's no doubt in my mind that if you haven't heard this song yet, you're eventually going to hear John Lennon of Beatles fame singing with his wife, Yoko Ono. And so this is Christmas. And what have we done? Another year over, and a new one just begun. Yeah, pretty famous John Lennon's tune. But if you go back and you listen to that song, in a refrain to every time Lennon sings, what you find is that there's a children's choir actually singing in the background, like in echo to what Lennon is singing. And the lyrics to what those kiddos are singing is, and so this is Christmas, War is over if you want it. War is over now. War is over if you want it. War is over now. You see, what's going on here is that in the midst of this, oddly enough, and I'm positive, unbeknownst to Lennon and Yoko Ono, they're preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in that moment. They're preaching the gospel. Lennon and Ono had it right. This is Christmas. Explain Christmas to me right now, Pastor Jonathan. The war is over if you want it. Your hostility between you and God can be over if you want. You don't have to go do anything. That's why it's over. And it can be over now because everything that needed to be done for your war to be over and your hostility to be turned to peace has happened at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ where the blood of the good shepherd, the righteous ruler, was shed on your behalf so that you can now have peace with God. The war is over. Do you want it? Do you want that peace with God? It can happen to you right now. This is Christmas. War is over. If you want it, over how? Over because the good shepherd of Micah's prophecy would one day be born in Bethlehem. It's over now because born this day in Bethlehem is the good shepherd so that man no more may die. It's over because this good shepherd was born to raise the sons of earth. It can be over now because this good shepherd was born to give you second birth. And according to 1 John 3, 8, your war with God can be over because this good shepherd was born to destroy the works of the devil. Amen. That's good news. That's the gospel of Christmas. Friends, the gospel of Christmas is that war is over if you want it. Now, some people say, no, thank you. 
I don't want war to be over now. Enmity with God, hostility with God, war with God, raging like the Psalm 2, the nations against God. In their blindness, that's what they want. Some of us are sitting here in a salvific way, a saving way, saying, man, I've been raging against the good shepherd my whole life. I've been warring against him, and I don't want that anymore. Well, the gospel of Christmas looks at you and says, you don't have to have that anymore because Jesus has done what needed to be done at the cross for you to find peace today. Now, in a different sense, the majority of us here are believers. But all of us know in the deep, dark corners of our heart, there are areas where we are ra raging waging war against our God. Holding out. I will not let that thing go. God comes and whispers, lay it down and give it to me. And we go, I ain't ever going to give that to you. Do you want peace for your soul to, to infiltrate all corners of your heart? Do you want this salvation peace to be the bread and the drink you eat and drink every day? Some of us know in the dark corners of our heart, we say no to God. We're still warring against him in some ways. And Ono and Lennon come to you in a way preaching the gospel. The war is over. Peace is yours in Christ. Lay down the arms. Embrace the sovereign rule of the good, righteous shepherd, king in all areas of your life. He's a good Lord. He can be trusted with that thing that you're like, yeah, I don't know if I can trust him with this thing. You can trust him. It's the hostility of your heart and your rebellion against God and your refusal to bow your knee to the shepherd king have you heavy laden. Are you weary in your war against God? Matthew 11 verse 28 is the biggest Christmas invitation you could ever possibly hear when the good shepherd looks at you square in the eye and says, come to me. That's the invitation of Christmas. Come to me. Jesus, who are you talking to? I'm talking to people who are heavy laden. I'm talking to people who are weary. Any burdened, weary, heavy-laden people here today? The Christmas invitation is talking to you. Jesus, what Christmas gift could you possibly give me in December of 2023? Here's what I can give you. I can give you rest. Peace. Well, Jesus, how can you give this gift? From whence does it come? Why are you allowed to be the one who gives you gives me this peace. It's because of verse 5. He shall be our peace. He's giving us himself. This isn't like he's got a little piece of peace in his pocket. And he's like, here you go. You want some peace? Zing! And he just sort of throws it out there like candy at a parade. No, he's giving us himself. And that's why we can come and rest in him and find the rest we need. We can find this peace Notice the end of four. To be a part of Jesus' flock means we get to dwell secure. That's peace language. And Micah says what you need to know as sinners come and dwell secure in him, what's going to spread? The fame of his name all the way to the ends of the earth. 
And then as you get saved and as they get saved and those people over there get saved, people we thought who needed to be saved get saved, the people that we thought could never get saved get saved, what's starting to spread all over the earth? The glory of the good shepherd king. And then what people begin to know is like, wow, there seems to be peace infiltrating this world of strife and war and weariness and heavy laden. Where is that coming from? It's coming from Jesus giving himself to his people and people are experiencing that peace and that peace begins to infiltrate a weary war-torn world and then people get to look and go man i think i see a little bit of heaven invading earth right now and that's what's going on friends here's the questions for this morning first you should probably ask this are you a part of the shepherd king's flock are you a part of the shepherd king's flock in other words, does the shepherd know you and you know him in a saving way? I'm not asking, do you know something about the shepherd king? Do you know him in a saving way? Do you have peace with God? Do you have peace with God by grace through faith in the good shepherd? Peace with God, deliverance from sin's bondage. If you're like, I don't know what to put on my Christmas list this year. I don't know what to give to someone else. Might I dare suggest that the best, greatest Christmas gifts of December of 2023 could be you receiving peace with God in Jesus, you finding deliverance from sin's bondage in Jesus, or going to someone else and say, have you considered peace with God and deliverance from sins in Jesus? The question is, have you received these gifts. Jesus is good, is he not? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your kindness, for your goodness. Thank you for leading us in ways that I'm positive we just didn't even know that we needed to be led. Thank you for being the righteous ruler. Thank you for being the one upon whom we can bank. You're not going to bail out on us. We can come and cast our lives on you, anchor our hope on you in the midst of verse 1, troubles and strifes, and we can find peace with you. Praise you, King Jesus. Lord, would you take these words and would you answer our prayer from the beginning of the sermon where we asked that you, Holy Spirit, would apply some truth. In here somewhere there is some truth that we all need. Lord, would you help us to Apply that truth to our lives so that we genuinely leave here today looking different, sounding different, believing different, fighting sin different, because we come to see that the good shepherd, King Jesus, is our peace. It's in your name, King Jesus, I pray. Amen.